0: And welcome to Matt Chat, where each week I invite an Empire LARPer to come on the channel and talk to me, Matt Pennington, about some aspect of Empire or live role playing that we're both interested in. I'd like to welcome to the channel Jamie Gibbons, who's going to be talking. Uh, well, I'll let Jamie tell you, introduce himself, and tell you what he's come on the channel to talk about.
1: Hi, uh, I'm Jamie. I'm currently playing a character in Dawn, and I'm going to be talking about or, or discussing with Matt the the way that Empire's briefs end up being interpreted and played in the field. So, the way they go from being written up on the wiki to how players actually implement them.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a, a fascinating. Before we get into it, just out of interest, is Dawn the only nation you've played or have you played in other nations?
1: Uh, no, I started and have played for a year in Wintermark, and I'm now over in Dawn after a succession of unfortunate events. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I mean, that's 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 the only the only nations I've played. Although I've ended up spending far too much time from, from this good for my health on <laughs> on the wiki and and just reading stuff. And it's then been interesting when I've considered that to be my in character knowledge. I've gone in the field, and then somebody's gone. We don't do things like that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that is interesting. Yeah, I'd really like to get into that. I was just keen to get a sense of of what your experience is before we start. Give me an example then of where you've gone into the field and people said, "No, we don't do that."
1: I think most recently it occurred with a when I was having a discussion a discussion with a Freeborn friend of mine, and I randomly brought up something. I, th- I thought I was being terribly clever. My my new my new character having this uh, this slight knowledge of of how Freeborn contracts work. Want to kind of write everything down and make sure every particular is set up. And and the reply I got was, "Why on earth would I do that? <laughs> why, why would I write it all down? I just need to write down bits of it and then." <laughs> <laughs> kind of fill in the blanks later
0: the wiki is huge i literally would have to now go and refresh my own knowledge of, of the brief to think well what does the brief actually say in that area what I, I guess you were expecting basically a very loyally approach with with kind of lengthy contracts and and clauses and so forth is is that what you thought would happen
1: yeah really i was i was kind of i prepared myself to to be kind of blown away by the length of the sort of terms and conditions that are going to be put upon it, it was just i was negotiating a simple agreement for a trade with someone and I was kind of expecting them to to want to really ham it up and have this huge long list of terms and conditions and all this sort of stuff and and I'd heard things in the in the field as well just in passing previously of stuff like particularly important agreements of uh, arranging curses and things like that in, uh, in advance to make sure that everything was adhered to. And then I think it was partially down to the fact that I, I know the person I was dealing with, O.C. Like they didn't see the need to have all this complicated stuff because they know me. and It's not like I could escape them <laughs> in a sense. Right. Also, as the character is a Scrivener, I was kind of expecting them to, to put a little bit more <laughs> into writing writing up a contract for a trade. And I was just a little bit surprised when then there wasn't quite so much a necessity for it. And it's, oh yeah, here it is. One of the five things to know about the Freeborn, they like agreements to be explicit. Everybody has to know exactly what has been agreed to. But the agreement was a bit more vague than that. It was just a bit sort of, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you this much and you'll make that for me. And and that's an end of it. I was expecting it to be a little bit more sort of time and place.
0: <laughs> Out of interest, was it, was it a major sort of trade that you were doing? Was it something fairly minor? The item was quite expensive, right? So I suppose it's
1: it's relative to it's relative to to what echelon of the game you're operating at. If, if yes. seven or eight thrown trade is kind of pocket change for you, then it doesn't really matter. But for me, especially, that was quite that was one of the first big big trades I'd done. I kind of having newly picked up artisan. I was thinking, oh, I've got this this item, and they're paying me for the material, so it's going to be quite costly because it's something like a 40 material item
0: i mean i think it's interesting from my perspective i think there are elements of the brief in every nation that are idealistic they are goals to strive for and there's a kind of implicit understanding that although it isn't made explicit on the wiki and we we tried over the years to be more explicit about it that it's aspirational so the classic example in the brass coast is honesty it's actually really hard to be brazenly honest all the time about everything. And the, the iteration of the brief kind of presents it as an all or nothing. Either you're absolutely honest or you've just achieved nothing. But actually, we tried to go back later on and say, no, no, it's not really what we we wanted. That The idea is that our honesty is, is aspirational. It's to be lauded and applauded. And implicit in that is the idea that actually these things are quite hard work. And of course, writing, assiduously writing out every contract is hard work. And if it's not fun for someone... You know, I don't blame them for not doing it. You know, all we've tried to do is create spaces where things will be enjoyable if you lean into them. But I can see that, you know, some Scriveners might find that really enjoyable and some might be like, yeah, it doesn't really float my boat. And I'd rather just have a pretty simple agreement, even if it's and, and potentially even verbal. I guess that's why I asked the question about how big was the trade deal, because I think I would expect the more significant the moment, the more someone might, might go for it. Mm.
1: I, I think it does. It definitely varies along human nature as well, just because, like you say, being brazenly honest about everything is not only completely exhausting, it's also, for some areas of the game, just not that fun. Like, if if you're trying to be... If you have to be brazenly honest about everything and somebody walks up to you and says, did you commit this crime? And your answer has to be yes... It it opens a new form of fun in that you then have to try and justify why you did it or or that sort of thing. But it can also just sort of sink you a little bit and you can almost immediately lose out by by having that hole punctured, I suppose.
0: Yeah, certainly. I I wouldn't expect somebody to be playing um brazenly honest three-born criminal. That Mm. would be an odd combination.
1: (laughs) Oh, I know know a few. (laughs) They don't think of themselves as criminals, but I know a few. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's, um I think that's idea that one of the running themes of Empire, isn't it, that, especially with things like Kit and stuff like that, the idea that it's aspirational, you should build up to what you're eventually going to have, and you should always be striving to improve yeah. as, as you can. And I suppose it goes for RP as well, because you might initially get somebody who's read a section of the brief and thought, oh, that seems really boring. And then they've seen it in play, and they've realised, oh no, there's a way I can make that fun. Or... Vice versa, there might be somebody who's read something on the wiki, thought, oh, that'd be fantastic fun to go and play. And then they discover in play, it's not quite as well represented as it is in the wiki.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. There's certainly an aspirational element to every part of the empire, And I do think that goes for the role playing as well as the kit. There's always a kind of encouragement to everyone to strive for these things. But with an implicit understanding that we all hit different levels that are kind of right for us, really. I think an example of this
1: I can think of, a thing I saw a lot in Wintermark, obviously a very extensive section on the, on the wiki and a very extensive part of, of Wintermark's culture is the idea of people becoming frayed if they don't keep to their skein. The, the idea that if you, don't, if you don't stay true to the path that you're destined for and if you constantly question your actions and that sort of thing, you can eventually become frayed, you can lose your way. Now, a number of people that I interacted with in the field, and a couple of people that I know as friends outside the game, decided that they wanted to play frayed characters. And they come into the field, they're planning to play these characters who are, for all intents and purposes, the way the wiki frames it, they're supposed to be pariahs. Yep. It's supposed to be winter folk. At the minor end, just leave them be. At the more extreme end, will outright forbid them from coming anywhere near them for, for fear that their kind of actions will stain everybody else around them. But you end up with that being very varied in the field because a lot of the time people don't really want to be that nasty to random strangers. So you end up with somebody who will come going, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm afraid and I'm working hard to repair my skin. And you get people going, oh, right, OK, rather than get the hell away from me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a real challenge, I think, when you create any brief, a live role playing game that you ask people to buy into inequitable relationships between characters, prejudice, discrimination, class relationships, and so forth. And it can be really hard to convince people. And and we'll often say, look, people are choosing these options because they want to have this experience of being outcast, of being uh, discriminated against. But it is really difficult often to get people to buy into that. And I, I mean, I've had experiences in other games where, you know, I've played a servant, a game with a very, very strong class divide, And yet people from the upper class kept encouraging me to sit down and have a drink with them. And I kept having to say, I don't think that's very appropriate, sir. You know, it was like, how am I supposed to keep my character in a a setting where you're treating me like a friend? It's like when I'm your servant Mm -hmm. and and it is a challenge. I think it's, you know, it's not just a challenge in Empire. It's a challenge in every LARP in my experience.
1: It's definitely something you come across with a lot of aspects of, of Empire where divides or where... I suppose and antagonisms almost have been built into the game so you should, the one that I think comes up all the time is the difference between how Briar are written on the wiki and how they get treated in play and it always seems to be this it, I, I see it all the time there's sort of great long threads that appear of, of people going so how much kind of briar racism actually is there in Empire and you get some people going oh I never see you know nobody ever treats me badly when I'm when I'm a character even though I'm quite obviously a briar And then somebody else popping up going, I haven't had a civil conversation with anybody at Empire in five events because nobody wants to talk to me because I'm a briar. It seems to vary so much. It's not necessarily even held up across the national divides. The kind of obvious one, I suppose, would be that anybody who reads through the wiki would think, oh, well, if you go and talk to a highborn as a briar, they're going to tell you to go away. They're going to have a go at you. But then because there are some people who are either playing it to different degrees or perhaps sometimes don't realize what you're fizz repping or what you're playing. You end up with this variety of, of reactions and you also get, because empire is a, well, how's it? It's, it's PVP politics, isn't it? It's um, a, a game about trying to get one over on your rivals, but without using a blade. You end up with people who desperately need to get in with someone who, you know, if, they were, if, if they were kind of following the letter of the brief, they would not be able to do because they should despise that person. Like I think you see that a lot with politics, with briars, with the imperial orcs, a couple of the other lineages as well, I suppose, depending on a person's national biases you end up with people who should by rights want nothing to do with a person, but because they hold a, a high imperial title or simply because they could be useful to that other person, they kind of drop all of the antagonism and are and are um, being nice with them.
0: Yeah, fair-weather racists. They're mm, a curse yeah. on our hobby of <laughs> the fair-weather racists. Um, <laughs> it's a funny concept, really, isn't it's it? It's <laughs> a very perverse concept. But uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. And it comes back to the fact that not everyone not everyone's really bought into wanting to play those kind of characters who are doing the discriminating and so when when they're put in a situation where their character's personal uh, advancement is on the line then they will often compromise on that element even if they intended to play it it, you know it's more fun for them to advance their character's goals and have an interaction than it is for them to throw the briar out of the tent insist they'll have nothing to do with them but on the other hand i think it's in the brief so that people like me who would absolutely play a full-on racist without batting an eyelid, can lean into that and nobody questions it. Nobody's like, what what the hell's wrong with you? Everybody understands why you're anti-orc or anti-lineaged the or anti-briar or any of these things. What we try and do, I think, I think the brief is really trying to do, is preserve a space for the people who want to play that. To do that, it has to try and suggest that everybody isn't, and I think that's perhaps a mistake. Maybe we could have handled that better in the brief. I don't know.
1: I think another thing that I saw being discussed recently was with regard to the kind of Orc racism in Empire, because this is a a constant, I think a constant topic that comes up is how, how far do people play it? And you get a lot of people, now it's, it's, it's horribly complicated by the fact that most of the Imperial Orcs I've ever acted with in the field are absolutely lovely people. <laughs> and, it makes, and it makes trying to play your disdain for this person before you quite difficult when you're being kind of treated so nicely. And, and in my case at the time, I was having a, a fairly serious wound stitched shut. And I'm thinking, I probably shouldn't be having a go at this person at this moment in time. It's probably not the best idea. But you then get some of the Imperial Orc players I've met who I've chatted to out of character have been saying, no, 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 I wish more people would be mean to me because it gives me more RP. It kind of creates this dilemma, really, that on the one hand, it would be really, really cool to play a character who went all out, complete hatred of, uh, of Orcs or of a certain lineage, c- refuses to touch them, refuses to talk to them. And I've seen people play it really, uh, really, really well. There's someone I know who plays his kind of hatred of briars and spring magic to the extent that he will refuse to be magically healed by anything to do with spring. And I think it's a really, really cool trait to RP, but it is to his detriment. It does mean that one of these days, the only healing nearby is going to be spring magic. And he either has to compromise his principles or his character will die.
0: I suspect, and that's perhaps a weakness of empire and, and something we should have spotted in hindsight, and we're normally quite good at, most inequitable relationships in the real world are predicated on some form of advancement. It, you are generally getting an advantage by discriminating, and, and it's not ubiquitous but you can look at a lot of conflicts and you can see how one side the dominant side or, or the, the the social group of the upper hand is essentially preserving their status by discriminating against other people and i don't think empire models that at all well i think in empire generally anytime you're discriminating it's probably to your detriment so it is a hard sell it you know we're not incentivizing people as i don't know how we could but different games It can be done. I mean, you just have to think really carefully about the game design to try, if that's what you want to produce. But without that incentive, without that benefit, then people fall back, I think, on... We often talk about 21st century values, 21st century morals, and I just think that's such a misnomer. People wanting to look out for the best for themselves has been a value of humanity since long before history began. And in situations where discriminating and being prejudiced is to your advantage, then some people will do that but then flip the situation where prejudice and discrimination is to your detriment and then those people will abandon it. You're not the Ku Klux Klan types, you know, some people. And so, I, I yeah, that makes it harder. It's harder to play a racist in Empire than, it, than perhaps it ought to be.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a tricky one, it's, it's especially with when you get something presented on in the brief where it's saying, you know, oh, your, your nation should have this negative attitude to this lineage or this particular species or what have you. Another one I can think of is the freeborn attitude to Mero yep. and the idea that a lot of Mero children are kind of quietly sent to live in Eurozone because they will be happier there than they would be in the coast. Very recently, another friend of mine started playing a Mero in the Brass Coast with the intention of basically trying to direct some some negative or some, some more, I don't know, more discriminatory role play towards yep. herself because previously she's played more kind of characters that fit a little bit more with the Freeborn ethos and Freeborn view of life. Now she wanted to play a character that would be completely at odds with it. But because she's a well-known, her, her face is now quite well-known, she's been playing a Freeborn for a number of years under different characters, I don't think she received as much kind of negative roleplay as she was expecting to. People just kind of, she she slotted back in without too much problem. And it definitely, I think, comes in part and parcel with the fact that you don't particularly want to spend your holiday being mean to your friends. And as a result, it kind of, that little section of the brief, which, strictly speaking, most freeborn should adhere to, and most freeborn should believe that a Murrow doesn't fit within freeborn society, it just kind of got left to enable her to continue playing, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the brief, what it actually says is not that the freeborn are prejudiced against Merrow, but it's simply that many Merrow just don't find Freeborn society comfortable. And yes, they will. Freeborn parents will take their children to Urizen and sort of hand them off. But it's easy to simplify that down. It's easy to assume that that means. That people will will sort of buy into a discriminatory attitude. You know, the assumption is when you read the Merrow brief, the Freeborn brief, it's just describing a situation where they are suffer discrimination in the Brass Coast. But actually, that's not quite what the brief says. It's more subtle than that.
1: I, I, su- I suppose this is this is a, a pretty fine example of how su- uh, interpretation of the brief then differs with action in the field. As I have interpreted this <laughs> in a way that is that is different to uh, to what the brief kind of actually says. And it, I suppose it just proves that nobody is infallible, really. <laughs> everybody kind of, everybody has their own little methods. We all read the the wiki slightly differently and we'll therefore all play it slightly differently.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think inevitably, particularly when you're reading a brief, whenever you're reading or, or hearing or listening to anyone, you hear the words or you read the words and your brain translates them and you remember what you translated that into so you might read the section on the Merrow and go right got it yeah marrow suffer prejudice and that's what you take away from it and that's actually subtly not what it says which is not to say we couldn't have written it because as, as you point out in other places we absolutely do write briars suffer horrible prejudice and that doesn't always happen
1: my first character at empire i threw myself in at the deep end decided to play a briar on the basis that it would give me some fun confrontational role play unfortunately i decided to play a briar in wintermark which perhaps was not the smartest <laughs> decision i've made because it just meant that nobody really cared people would look at me and they'd they'd understand if i was acting a bit impatient or if i was if my opinion flipped quite quickly they'd look at me and go oh, briar and then nobody else would say anything yep the only place I actually got any kind of confrontation at all was when I was sat in a bar in the league, and somebody decided to make some very witty comments on my character because he was a Wintermark. bride I just responded
0: by going, Burr. "It's cool to hear you describe kind of leaning into it." One of the things I think, when you look at the Imperial Orcs, I think they've done a remarkable job of building a very insular camp of making it clear that humans aren't particularly welcome in there. They haven't, I think, had a A lot of people giving them a lot of prejudice out in the empire field, but they've managed to build that in a way that lets them effectively reverse the prejudice and embrace it and kind of create this orc camp for orcs, which I think is really clever and is a really effective way to build on the brief and and to give them an insularity.
1: It is a very interesting setup they've got going. And it's also, I think it's it's also a testament to some parts of the brief. For example, the focus with the Imperial Orcs on on loyalty to other Orcs and the need to be around other Orcs. Yep. You've ended up with a system almost where when an Imperial Orc wants something, you don't get, say, one Imperial Orc going and asking a person for something. You get eight of them
0: all showing
1: up so one of them can ask a question. And it does have a fairly big, I think, both in character and sometimes out of character, intimidation factor. Yep. You don't get you don't get like you would have with two human characters who are talking. It's not like a a conversation between two people who will then barter or argue or something. It is almost this this mob which has shown up to demand something of an individual, and it, it makes it the dynamic very interesting. I think that you end up with. Some people who perhaps give more away than they intend or or give more support than they might otherwise have done because of that slight intimidation factor stemming from the brief. Yep. And you also then get the complete flip side of it, which is when you get individual orcs or orcs who decide to, or either decide to, or because they don't really have a choice at the time, will end up wandering alone. And it does very much change the dynamic because an orc will still still be acting the same, but it's kind of without that, that brief backup. You don't tend to get, in my experience, there are many solo orcs who are acting kind of paranoid and a bit nervous because they're without other orcs around them. Possibly just because that would be completely exhausting to have to play for more than about 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's another one of those elements of the brief that's highly aspirational and also arduous. It's an almost impossible goal to achieve. And I think, you know, if I had my time again, I would have written those briefs with much more awareness. And I say this confident that that if I ever, ever, ever write another brief, I'll undoubtedly make the same mistake again but you write them in this with an ideal in your head of how it's going to be played. And you don't always think actually this will just be hard. It'll be hard to keep this up all the time. What you're trying to do with a brief, you're trying to give cool, iconic fun base of target for people to aim at, but also get something that's credible and realistic and playable. And if, if you If you just produce something that isn't challenging and isn't, there's no aspirational element and it's just, yeah, yeah, just pop some costume on and be yourself. Well, then you haven't really achieved anything by writing a brief. Likewise, if you write something that's just ludicrous, you know, all orcs walk on their hands everywhere they go and because they believe their feet shouldn't touch the earth, you've just created something that's utterly unplayable. I
1: think you get someone trying it. (laughs) You get
0: some people trying it, but people would rightly point out this is not possible in practice. Why is it written as if this were how it was? And I think that's the danger. If you write, orcs think walking on your hands is the best thing ever and think people who can do it are amazing, that's very different from saying orcs think everyone should walk on their hands. I don't know why we've picked orcs in this example. It could be anything.
1: It's just, just feeding on, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I, I think if you know, if I'm honest about the the briefs, we are in places too ambitious. Don't apologise for being too ambitious, but I think we were too unequivocal in writing the ambition as the fact. We should have made clear that this was the goal, this was the aspiration, rather than this was the norm. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, heroism in Wintermark is a great example. It's presented as if it's the norm and everybody does it. Well, it's really hard to be a hero, really mm. hard. The idea that everyone in Wintermark is a hero all the time stretches credibility. And, and I think if we'd been clearer about saying this is the kind of the heroic ideal this is the the aspiration for them as a people and that's what people strive to and that's what they laud and that's what they applaud then that that would have been better than suggesting yeah yeah this is roughly what everyone achieves
1: it's it's definitely heroism in wintermark is definitely one of those things i think that I think it's kind of an example of no plan surviving first contact with the enemy. In in this case, no brief surviving first contact with the players. There's an immense focus on one specific interpretation of what's meant. In this case with Wintermark, that very specific interpretation is a lot of people believe heroism is synonymous with combat. Yep which causes a number of people that I know a great deal of of, of mild distress because they don't play combat characters. But then they are saddened with this constant feeling that they're surrounded by people who will only lord achievement if it comes from the battlefield, but they don't take the battlefield. Or they do take the battlefield, but they're not at the front waving a shield and shouting. They are at the back saving everybody's lives.
0: Yes, the heroic senator or the heroic mediator or the heroic scop, it's really difficult. You say no briefs to thyds contact. To me, I think that's just an illustration of where we as writers didn't get our job right. It should have been obvious in hindsight that people would overly focus on that. I'm not sat here going, oh, I'm astonished to hear that's happened. It's just obvious in hindsight that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And we should have taken more effort. We could have written up some stories, could have just done some cool, iconic stories of people being heroic, uh, suwak hunters tricking trolls in some heroic and cool way. Caledasi mm-hmm. mystics going on some spirit quest and providing some great insight. And I think if we'd made more of an effort on that, had more forethought. Uh, I, I guess my argument is the parts of the brief that don't survive contact with the with the players are the ones that are not as well written as they should be. Mm. That's you know I don't think it's a, an, a weakness in the approach. I think it's a weakness in in the in the material. Mm. I think you are
1: right, and there's also definitely obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's very yeah. it's very easy to I suppose overstate the severity of a flaw. But you do get, I think there's at least some part in every single brief which has either been universally misinterpreted or is perhaps just not as strongly conveyed as it could be. I feel like the parts of that that are most prevalent is probably of Heroism in Wintermark. To an extent, I feel the class divide in Dawn. There's a certain degree I found of, I've been trying to play a relatively stolid and loyal yo-folk who is just happy being a yo-folk. But I keep being constantly asked, oh, when when are you going to complete your test? When are you going to become noble? And I feel like it's because people have read that section of the wiki where it says all yo folk who attend Anvil should aspire to nobility or should be aspiring to earn a test. They kind of read that and go, oh, well, that means everybody should be just using yo folk as a sort of stop off point. You should be aiming for nobility. It discounts the idea that somebody like the character I'm playing just kind of enjoys his rather simple life and doesn't really feel the need to give up the things he does for the sake of nobility
0: yeah i i, I mean in fairness to them they're role playing into the brief at that point aren't they the brief says everyone who comes to Anvil is, is coming to Anvil because they're seeking glory yeah if a character's just happy with their simple life why have they left home and come to Anvil? I don't think it's outrageous to play a character like that, but I think it's a pretty fair interpretation of the brief that everybody you meet kind of expects you to be striving for glory. Mm. It's also fairly complimentary. They clearly think you've got what it takes.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I think my my thought with it, this is possibly, again, down to my interpretation of the brief rather than how it hits play. But I was anticipating to play a character that was a little bit more servile in the sense that the reason he's coming to anvil is because his enchanter is going to anvil yeah and he has to go and serve him i then kind of hit the fact that in play everybody's sort of asking me oh when are you going to be taking your test when when are you going to become a, a noble and i was thinking be a noble i'm just here because i'm serving my lord i'm not i'm not here to kind of to aspire too high i'm here to, to do my job and I, I suppose it is kind of i've met people who think the same as me and i've had some wonderful in character conversations with other yo folk grumbling about nobles <laughs> but i've also then met some people who've gone out of character have said to me well, why, why are you doing that why why would you stay as a yo folk why wouldn't you be aspiring to nobility and my only answer is well, because it's how i want to play
0: Again, back to the challenges of making a class divide work. One of the problems in Dawn is obviously there is a route out of the lower class status. And inevitably, lots of players assume everyone is pursuing that path because it seems Mm. like it would be obvious. But we wrote years ago, years and years ago, when Empire was being created, I, I wrote an article which wasn't well understood, actually, about... Playing the servant in a larp game, and how much fun it can be to play that sidekick role, Robin to, to Batman, the Jeeves and Worcester. I can I have no idea which one of those is is the Servants and not my ball. But I think Jeeves is the servant. I think you're right. Jeeves. It, Jeeves certainly sounds like the servant. Actually, in the right circumstances, playing the patient servant can be enormous fun, just enormous fun. You know, I have some of my fondest moments are of playing a servant. Again, back to that experience when when I played in a, a game with a big class and divide and I was playing a servant and just the fun of following my noble person around and trying to anticipate everything they wanted. And at one point that they, they sat down for a meeting with a, another noble person. So I, I scuttled out with a table and then came out with drinks and napkins and everything. <laughs> it was like, the longer they sat there, the more things accumulated on this table. It was just ludicrous and a lot of fun. And, and even if all that role playing is just going on in your head, but you do need people to bind to that. And you need that kind of that understanding that that game can be a lot of fun. And if people aren't playing that game and they're not aware of it, then they, they can often be blind to that and, and fail mm-hmm. to really Realise that being the sidekick, the bodyguard, the butler, that the support act can be enormous fun in live role playing.
1: Definitely so, and I've I've enjoyed it immensely through through, <laughs> through out of character. Being told I'm not playing properly, I've, <laughs> I've enjoyed I've enjoyed immensely the the kind of little niche I've ended up carving while playing it, because it does lead me to some in-character conflict. I've had nobles from other houses remonstrating my character for not being ambitious enough off the back of them watching me go scurrying off to go and fetch something for a noble. It is an interesting kind of game to play. It's an interesting, I suppose, different way of reading the brief that's accidentally dropped me into a a very interesting niche in, in terms of play.
0: I think one of the challenges with a brief, particularly in it, once you get out of a thirty-person, forty-person larp, you're into a system where not everyone is going to agree on what the brief is and what the brief says and how the brief should be played. Definitely. Although, actually, you know that can happen in a thirty and forty-person larp as well.
1: But it is easier to it is easier to group people up at that point and say, "Okay, can we all agree on something?" Rather than
0: yeah, 2, 000... but only. I think that's only truth. You realise what it is you're going to need to agree on. I went to a fantastic Mm. game. I had amazing fun uh, playing a historical character—not historical character—playing in a very historical LARP. And I play very low fantasy. I play a very low fantasy mindset. I, I don't play heroes. I play people who are scared of dying and people who are worried about things. And we'd all totally agreed on what the historical setup was and what the interpersonal relationships were. But it was very obvious to me that many of the people around me were playing people who were leaning into a heroic ideal. They were leaning into a heroic vision of their role in history. And so they were like, yes, let us fight the good fight. Let us uh, march into the valley of death. Let us, you know, we will uh, charge the Russian guns. And my character's there thinking, That sounds crazy. What? what, what, No, let's not do that. In a sense, that's actually back to what we're talking about. is people taking a a different view of the shared reality.
1: Yeah. you, You definitely get that with Empire as well, with different people's approaches to aspects of the game. Because There are a number of people I know who, be it in social situations, in political ones, or on the battlefield, will just completely throw caution to the wind. They're going absolutely ballistic because they've got this inbuilt mindset that they're not going to die they've got this kind of i'm going to live there's absolutely no way that anything's going to be able to kill me i'm invincible sort of attitude and it does create this interesting dynamic when you get somebody like i tend to play my characters a bit more cautiously although that's mostly because of my fairly atrocious death record Uh, but, uh, but and also people who are playing i've encountered some people who are playing characters who are legitimately scared of being in a fight and it contrasts quite strongly when you then get two or three people going, come on, for, not to give any particular example, for glory, charge! And they go sprinting off. And then there's the couple of us standing at the back going, they're all going to die, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> there's absolutely no way that we're getting them back. And it, it is that kind of, I suppose, that, that differing dynamic when it's presented the idea that everybody at Anvil are the heroes of the Empire. And there are people who play heroes in a very, very different way to how other people might.
0: Yeah. Are there examples where you think the brief is played really well or th- things where, you, you know, it's, it's surprised you with how much people have leaned into it?
1: Yeah, right right from the get-go when I started playing Empire about, I think I'm coming up on two and a half years now, I was very, very impressed with the dedication people put behind, I suppose you call it bardic characters? Yep. People who are are playing into their nation's storytelling traditions or their nation's entertainment traditions, I suppose. I've sat and listened to some fantastic stories told around fires in Wintermark in Navarre. I've listened to absolutely beautiful songs played by people in the Brass Coast, which were then completely different to, but just as amazing as songs or a play in the League. I feel like people who end up playing, or, or a lot of the people at Empire who play characters that are more creative that they're they're creating songs stories or they're presenting different aspects of of a culture really do phenomenally well with with what they present they they've taken what's written on the brief in some cases they've added enormous amounts to it by what they're doing and in general they're just running with it and taking what they're given as a as a written brief and bringing it to life in this spectacular way
0: that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I had almost nothing to do with the kind of artistic, musical and entertainment side of the brief because I don't have a single musical bone in my body. I just, <laughs> basically I have no soul. So, <laughs> but I was absolutely aware that it was, it's both really important culturally. If you look at the role of like the Scop in Wintermark, the storyteller in I can't remember what the character's called now in Dawn, but the one who's kind of chronicles the... The troubadour. The troubadours, you know, these characters clearly have incredibly important social roles that they are utterly embedded in the culture. And also you want to, again, this is an area where I've been accused of being way too ambitious. You want to encourage people to create kind of thematic uh, entertainment, music stories, drama that really leans into the cultural traditions, music that evokes the Brass Coast or music that evokes High Guard or whatever it is. And and it, that is really hard because at the end of the day, create it's just a really hard skill period to create this stuff. Mm. Um, but it's really nice to hear that when people really do an amazing job of it, it's really good.
1: Some some people have played phenomenally into it and have created in, in, in many cases, created groups that are entirely based around those aspects of the brief. The the kind of ones that immediately spring to mind there's the the playhouse in the league, which puts on some fun phen- both phenomenally funny and also phenomenally well acted in-character well-acted uh, performances. There's, um, I had the pleasure at E4 of sitting in the forge and listening to the Silver Chantry Choir while they were singing. And it was just the diversity that they've created is just incredible. The, the Varushkin, Rusty Compass, they've come up with some phenomenally funny, quite folky-sounding songs, kind of tavern songs. And that contrasts spectacularly with the very virtue-based hymns, almost, that the Silver Chantry were singing. It's this wonderful kind of variation that really brings the briefs and the different nations to life in a way that I feel like the only other the only other thing that kind of comes close is the costume that people create.
0: Yes, absolutely, the costume. I think a lot of that is very much on the people who've led it. You picked out the kind of Chantry in Highgarden it's not just them I know there have been other players but they've really pushed that choral hymn the church-like music that I think absolutely fits them I think over in Navarre Jamie Wakefield kind of really led the way in terms of encouraging the Navarre to create a really thematic music and then he kind of handed that torch off to Gabrielle And she, I think it's Gabrielle and she's done an just you know taking it to another level again It that those are absolutely places where people just took our brief and just went yeah well that's all right Matt but we can do a million times better than that and that's just amazing to see Mm. cool okay is there something you think we should have done better when we wrote the brief I mean we've talked about or I've certainly talked very honestly about where I think we presented the aspirational what was always going to be aspirational as if it was just the everyday but is there other bits where you think well look that's just a mistake or you just got this bit wrong Mm. Be frank.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this is this is where I'm very careful just to make sure that my POD doesn't get blacklisted. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I I personally have had some well not well not that I've not that I've struggled with it, but that I have seen a lot of struggle around. I think some aspects of the costume briefs are. Not perhaps poorly put together, but just some of the ways they interact, some of the ways that the sort of ten nations interact along those lines have not been thoroughly thought out. I suppose the most obvious example is where there is some overlap between nations. Right. In terms of the costume that people end up wearing and the costume that people are encouraged to wear by the brief, there is a fair amount of overlap between, for example, Dawn and the League because noble costume for dawn is listed as being doublets and um, sort of tight or or the very sort of leg fitted trousers. And you then get the league national costume, which is the kind of Renaissance doublets and hose. And I think I recall reading that the difference is supposed to be that a league doublet needs to have separate sleeves, which are then sewn or tied on while a dawnish doublet can have complete sleeves. That is an absolute nightmare for people to organise in terms of costume. And you therefore end up with a lot of people who, at first glance, you kind of think, "Ah, oh, they are either League or Dawn. Or you might look at somebody from, I think, Navarre and Wintermark. You can, you can look at somebody from one of those two nations and you kind of have to think hard a lot of the time about which nation they are because both nations are wearing darker tunics and trousers, lots of leather, fur, it becomes quite... It can become quite, quite no distinguish because there is just this sort of... People will pick up a costume item that the brief says is absolutely okay, but it's also exactly the same thing that is on another nation's costume brief.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I've just done a quick search, and doubler is not mentioned on the Dornish look and feel, which is interesting. I think... Part of this, I think, is that the costume guide was put together by people who understand costume perhaps better than the average LARPer. And that's not to critique the average larpa. And by the way, I am a below-average LARPer in this respect. My knowledge of costume is virtually non-existent. I don't know what the difference between a hoopland and a doublet is, but I suspect if you're very into your medieval costume, you're probably laughing at the idea that a hoopland and a doublet are even remotely similar. Mm you know it goes back to people sort of reading it looking at the pictures and thinking well this looks kind of similar to that and like you say the difference is that something has stitched in sleeves and something doesn't or at least that's the way it appears to you and me mm. who don't know that much about the costume perhaps i, I don't know but I, I think we should be clear that some degree of overlap is always going to happen you know verushkins are a bit like winter markers a steiner calavesi and the suak are a bit like the Navarre. there's always going to be some potential for overlap i think we can can sweat these things too much.
1: It would be incredibly hard to make 10 completely unique cultural groups, I suppose in terms of costume. It would be incredibly incredibly difficult and as I as I think has become the case, the differences are rather subtle. Yeah, like you say, it's I think it does stem from the fact that just looking at that the sort of the the, the I think it's the second image that shows up on the Dawn look and feel page. Yep. It's described when I mouse over the picture as a coat with elbow-length sleeves. See, so I would have looked at it and gone, "Oh, it's a short-sleeve doublet." Right. But that's because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know the, the technical differences between these yeah, between absolutely. these items.
0: Unfortunately, you, it comes down to that element where you need a critical eye to be able to see the distinction. And I think that's back to Empire's kind of aspirations, really, that we wanted everyone to be a music expert and a costume expert, and the, you know, the greatest role player on earth, and so on and so forth.
1: You say not expecting the best of people when really <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I make no apologies. I, I had a criticism a while back of someone saying, look, you use too long words in your winds of fortune they they're, they're too they're too you know the, the words you use are too obscure and and I just thought, well, if you come to the odd words you don't understand, get a dictionary and look it up. <laughs> uh, just, I'm passionate about the idea that LARP might encourage us to grow a little. Yeah. you know' if somebody, Finds the briefing. I don't really understand what the difference between a planned and a double is, but I'm going to go away and look it up. Glorious. I wouldn't do that. And, and, and I don't expect everyone to do that because I, you know, I'm, I'm dead from the neck up. But I genuinely happy that one person in a thousand might do that because I, I think that's cool.
1: It definitely encourages, if you want to get really into it and you want to start creating. I suppose it's kind of the, the fires of creativity that you're lighting, really, because it starts people being really enthusiastic about creating something. And I suppose it is this sort of, yeah, it's is, it is a it's a minor gripe, I suppose, really, in the same way that I could look at somebody else's costume kit and go, oh, well, I don't think that's particularly fitting to the, <laughs> to, the to the brief. And at that point, you are just kind of splitting hairs. It's one of those things where like, I viewed it as, and uh, kind of view it as a, a thing that might have been better implemented. Sure. But it is one of those things where you then say to somebody, right, well, how would you implement it then? And they go, uh... (laughs) You know, I can can preach for all the world about wishing that it was better made, but could I make it better myself? Could I?
0: No, absolutely not. (laughs) We should never let the fact that we can't do better ourselves hold us back from critiquing something you know when football fans watch a a football match and their favorite striker fails to put the ball in the the net they don't go well i would have missed that shot too they're all outraged that the shot misses we achieve our best when we're critical of of what we've done not when we sit there and go well well, i'm not sure i could have done better myself so i just keep my mouth shut Mm. but there's an assumption that a criticism isn't legitimate unless you can do better yourself the tone of that criticism needs to be right um, you know, let's not just pick faults for the sake of it. But I, I think it's useful. I'm very keen. I think the look and feel page is uh, an area I think we could definitely do better.
1: There are there are some inconsistency across the look and feel pages in terms of the amount of guidance given for individual, um, yep. individual nations. There's a couple of nations I know that at least one nation i know of that they, they grumble a lot about about the quality of their of their look and feel page and the fact that in the, in the words of somebody that i that i was speaking to about this, all, but, oh well we basically had to create the brief ourselves i thought mm, i can see the page is a bit sparse but i think that might be a bit far <laughs> it's...
0: yes the writing on empire with a few notable exceptions we had a whole team of writers and they would Create the content, and then myself and Andy Raff, primarily Andy, but myself and Andy would curate and edit it all, and get it all into a uniform voice, and get it all to a uniform standard, and get it all to a kind of coherent length and a coherent level of detail. And we didn't manage this perfectly. I, I hasten to add. And the goal was that it would come across as a, an even document that tried to cover everything evenly. And we couldn't do that with the costume because because it's just too technical. It's just too technical. And neither me nor Andy really have the level of understanding of costume to be able to start going, right, yeah, great, we've got all this content. Now let's rewrite it from the ground up in a completely uniform voice. It's been on the list of jobs to overhaul the costume pages and improve them since forever. It never quite happens because fundamentally I know nothing about costume and that is always the stumbling block. These things are hard
1: yeah yeah I, and i don't think any any single player at empire could begrudge you for the for the effort that's gone into it the wiki is an absolute monolithic <laughs> creation which which does help immensely and it is it is this wonderful source both of direction and of inspiration for for the things that people come up with i think fundamentally any gripe that i or any other person might have about the wiki or about the briefs and the way things are presented it's entirely down to how we personally read it and how we think we would do it differently. I, I may not be able to piece together a, a decent or what I would think of as a decent costume from the League look and feel page. But then there's an entire nation who proved that you can piece together a, a wonderful looking, coherent nation from what's given.
0: Cool. OK, well, I think that's probably a, a good place to bring this to a halt. Thanks for coming on the podcast and chatting like that. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Thanks to my guest, Jamie Gibbons, and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. We'll try and get another podcast up soon. As ever, if you've got any thoughts or comments you'd like to make, you're welcome to post on our Facebook groups or forums, or just email me at mattprofounddecisions.co.uk.